welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church community here in Yankton, South Dakota. I just want to say thank you for joining us. It's my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. New Year's Day, 1929. Georgia Tech played the University of California Bears in the Rose Bowl. The game was scoreless early in the second quarter when Georgia Tech took over the ball in their own 20. Then something interesting happened. On the very first play from scrimmage, Stumpy Thompson was hit by the secondary by the Bears, Benny Lon, and the ball bounced loose. A man by the name of Roy Riggles, who was the uh, Cal's all-coast star, grabbed the bouncing ball, but was suddenly whirled around and started heading down the field in the wrong direction. Lom, who had caused the fumble, who was also one of the Bears' number one defensive backs, jumped up and now was sprinting after his teammate Regals, who was going the wrong way, shouting at him to turn around. Regals was thinking he was being chased by a Georgia Tech player, kept running away from his teammate, and ran 80 yards towards the wrong end zone. Lom finally stopped Regals at the one-yard line. Just in time for tackled by Georgia Tech players who had been pursuing them. At halftime, Regal sat alone in the locker room, and he was just weeping over his mistake. You see, not many 20-year-olds make a mistake of that magnitude in front of the world. you got to remember, this is 1929. There was no NFL at that point, so the Rose Bowl was the equivalent of what the Super Bowl is today. So you can imagine the humiliation. Well, the coach of the Bears, this guy was the name of Nib Price, he came over to encourage Regals, and Regals said, that's it, I'm done, coach. I'm not going back out there. He was just completely distraught and humiliated. And, and Coach Price did something. I don't want you to miss it. He walked over to Regals, this young man, 20 years old, put his arm around him, and he said, come on out with us. The game's only half over. And if you're a guest here today, I just want to say welcome home. We're glad that you're here, and the game's only half over. <laughs> No matter what you walked in the door today or whether you tuned in online, I just want to let you know we're celebrating something today that is a new beginning. It's a new life. It's a new hope. It's a new chance. And that's what we're here celebrating. And that's the whole point of Easter. And I'm so glad that you're joining us here today. We have been on a journey as a church. We've been walking through the life, the ministry, and the teaching of Jesus. And and if you're just joining us, I just want to help you with something. You're coming in on the season finale, okay? And it was a two-part finale. Part one was last week. I would encourage you to go back and online. Go to our YouTube channel, our website, our podcast. Listen to the messages, kind of binge them, if you will, as it were, and learn about the life of Jesus, because today is going to be, like I said, the season finale. But just to kind of catch you up previously on Jesus, um, we've talked about his life. We talked about his ministry. We talked about how he would travel around and heal the sick. We talked about how he would raise the dead, the blind can see, the lame can walk. We talked about how he fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. We talked about how he walked on water his teachings, his, his conversations with religious, religious leaders, how he calmed the sea, how he was transfigured, and how a few weeks ago he rode in Jerusalem on a donkey to be hailed as king. And last week we talked about how he gathered with his disciples for what we now call the Last Supper. But at that time, it wasn't a Last Supper. It was the Passover celebration. And he said to his disciples, I'm going to start something new. And he gave them a command to love them. And again, I want you to go back and watch that message or listen to it if you haven't got a chance to see that, to to walk through that. Because here's what happened after that. 
right after that, Jesus was taken, took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judas. He was arrested and taken before the chief priests. He was mocked. He was spit at. He was abandoned. He was insulted. He was beaten. He was taken before Pilate. He was convicted, and he was crucified on a cross. And we said this last week, on a hill he created, the light of the world was abandoned in darkness to die. And that's where we ended. And I said last week, I said, we kind of ended on a bummer, didn't we? (laughs) But we have to. We have to understand the power of that and the power of that moment. Well, today we're going to pick it up as we close out this series and we close out the life of Jesus with the grand finale that we're excited to talk about. Luke 24, I'm going to be in the first verse. It's going to be on the screen behind us here. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. There they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, But when they entered, they did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. Now, I want to pause right here and kind of pull out a couple things in this passage. As we've been going through this series, I've been encouraging you to read this along. And this week, you'll read about the resurrection story in our weekly readings. But but I want to unpack a couple things from this passage that I think are important. Here's the first thing that I want you to understand. It was women who first discovered the empty tomb. Now, now, there's a couple reasons for that. Here, here's what I think. I think it's because if we would have let men do it, we would have screwed it up, right? Amen, women? Okay. <laughs> That's why God, God chose the women because the guys had screwed up. Amen, women? Yeah, okay, all right, there you go. We're, we're on the right track with that. But here's the other thing that you need to understand about that, why that's important. In the first century, and let's just be honest, even probably through today, the testimony of women was never considered valid. Women were always looked down upon. They were always looked uh, discriminated against, especially in that time and in that culture. So for the first people to Jesus to reveal his resurrection to, to be women, is very significant. Why? First of all, because Jesus gave everybody value, didn't he? He valued everybody, women, children, everyone. But, But here's the thing I want you to understand that I think sometimes gets missed in this. In the first century, if we were making up a story, because there's people that say this is all just a fairy tale, it's all just made up, the disciples made it up years later. If they were making up a story about this, why on earth would they pick women to be the first ones to find Jesus? Because in that culture, nobody would have believed it, nobody validated it. It's almost like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who, by the way, all confirmed this, that it was women who first discovered this. It's almost like he said, I know it sounds unbelievable, I know it sounds crazy, but he was risen from the dead, and the women were the first ones to discover it. Isn't that crazy? But, but here's the second thing I want you to understand. It's, it's important that the women discovered it, but this is even more important, and, and this will be on the screen here. Nobody expected nobody. Nobody expected nobody. No one on Easter Sunday morning was standing outside of Jesus' tomb going, 10, 9, 8. Nobody was there. Why? Because when people die, they stay dead. All of the thousands of people who followed Jesus through this whole journey that we just talked on for the last 15 weeks stood at that cross and saw him die. They saw him breathe his last. They smelled it. They watched it. They saw the spear go into his side. They saw the blood and the water flow. They saw his body, his limp body taken down. They saw him breathe his last. And every one of them, don't miss this church, Every single person thought, game over. It's done. 
Because when people die, they stay dead. But here's the good news of Easter Church. Jesus didn't. And let's look at verse 4. While they were still wondering about this. I love that part. They just like, Stan, wait, this doesn't make sense. We saw him die. We're at his tomb. He's not there anymore. Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners and be crucified and on the third day be raised again. Three times, church, and we talked about this. Jesus pulled his disciples aside and said, listen, this is what's going to happen. And at the time, they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Because why? Because when people die, they stay dead. They didn't wrap their minds around what Jesus was saying. But then in Luke 24, verse 8, I love this verse. Then they remembered his words. And the women would leave that point, and the world would never be the same. They would go back, and they would tell the disciples. And they said, listen, this is what happened. And of course, because they're men, they're like, oh, I don't think that's what happened. I got to go check it out for myself. <laughs> and so Peter and John, they ran down to the tomb. John stopped at the door. Peter ran on in and checked it out and said, no, he's not here. And they went back and they're in the room. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And as they're standing there, Jesus appears in the room. This guy who they saw crucified and murdered is standing right there. And you know what the Bible says? They were afraid. Can I say that something? No kidding. <laughs> it kind of freaks you out a little bit. They thought he was a ghost. They didn't sure. And he said, listen, I'm me. Come touch my flesh. Come see. He would take a, a fish and bread and eat it. And he says, I am risen from the dead. Don't you get it? This is the whole point. This is what I kept telling you about. And if you remember, there was one disciple by the name of Thomas. And you'll read about this this week again in the weekly reading. I encourage you to do that. There was a guy named Thomas who wasn't in the room at the time. And they came and they told Thomas, he said, Jesus is risen from the dead. And what did Thomas say? Not unless I see it for myself. Not unless I put my hand in his hand and touch the spear in his side will I believe. And so Jesus came back, didn't he? And the next time they were meeting, Thomas was there, and Jesus appeared again, and Jesus said, come, touch my hand, touch my side. It's true. And Thomas says, I believe. And Jesus said, blessed are you because you saw and you believe, but how much more those who haven't seen and will still believe. And the Bible tells us that for the 40 days, Jesus would gather with his disciples. He would talk with them. They would see that. They said he appeared to, to several more and more people. And eventually, he would stand on a hill, and they would watch Jesus, our risen Savior, ascend back into heaven and into glory. And he would say, I will come back again soon. And those group of people, about 100 people at the time of Jesus going back to heaven, would literally change the world. It would spread through every culture, through every generation, throughout all human history, all the way down to Yankton, South Dakota, and every single person in this room today is here because of that moment. And literally billions of people around the world right now are sitting in a place just like this and worshiping the exact same thing because this is what Luke records. This is what Matthew records. This is what Mark records. This is what John records. But, but I got a question because I, I think this is part of the problem. Really? Did that really happen? Do, do we really think that actually occurred? Because church, here's what I want to tell you something. If that did, it changes everything. 
It doesn't just change everything about our world. It doesn't change everything about our eternity. It changes everything about my life. It changes everything about every action, every thought, every word, every decision I make has to be run from the fact that either Jesus is raised from the dead or he is still dead. But yet we struggle with that, don't we? And we live in a world, we live in a culture that really, really struggles with that. And, and you know why I think that is? I, I think it's a real simple thing. I think it's one word. If you got your note sheets, go ahead and take these out. This is these things on your chair. On the back of it, it's blank. It's because we want to write some things down, some things I want to share with you as to why I think that's the problem. And I just want you to write down one word. And here's the word. You ready for it? Then. Then. I think the problem is why we struggle with that, whether you're a believer or not. I think it's the word then. And just to kind of help you with where I'm going with this, there's really three problems with this then, this then thinking. Here's the first one. You might want to write this down. Thinking that was then, but this is now. Thinking that was then, but this is now. You know, pastor, that's a great story. It's very inspirational. It's very, very motivating, very, very inspiring. But you know what? That was a simpler time. That was a simpler people. We are a modern, advanced society. We don't really need these kind of stories anymore. We, we understand more about our world and how it works. We, that, was, that was then, and this is now. And, and what we're really saying at that point is, really, this whole Jesus thing doesn't have any relevance in my life. Know anybody like that? Maybe you are somebody like that. If you are, welcome. We're glad that you're here. But, well, here's the thing that I want to understand about then. There's one thing today that is exactly the same as the first century. You know what that is? When people die, they stay dead. That's still the same. Death hasn't changed. See, I, right before we came up here, I actually Googled this because I want to make sure I had the right, accurate information. And the death rate is still right at 100%. Everybody eventually will die. We just went through a global pandemic. We lost thousands of people because of COVID-19. Every day, people die from cancer. Every day, people die from accidents. You might get hit from a bus. You might live to be 120 years old, but can I just help you with something? Your life is going to end. And I know that's a hard thing to talk about and to see, but, but it's a reality. And if life is literally just we're born, we survive, and then we die, can I just say something? We're wasting a lot of time. If that's really truly your mindset in life, you should probably follow that through to conclusion and understand that there's a lot of things in your life you're doing that's a waste of time. In fact, I would encourage you to pack it up, go home, have a party, live it out, because this is all there is. Who cares about helping other people? Who cares about whatever else happens? Just live, sleep, die, and that's it. That's over. But if there is more, if there is life after this life, shouldn't we probably be concerned about that? Shouldn't that, shouldn't that matter to us? What might we consider? And, and I would contend it's everything. And that's what Jesus is saying too. Your life is so much bigger than just this, this time on planet Earth. That little dash between the day you're born and the day you die, it's going to be on every one of our gravestones. Our life is so much more than that. And our life goes on much, much more beyond that. But I think we have problem with that because we think that was then, this is now. It still matters, though, doesn't it? Here's the second problem with the word then. And this, I think, is even probably a bigger problem. Remembering the then, but forgetting now. See, there's those who say, well, that was then, this is now, it's no, it doesn't matter anymore. But I think there's an even bigger problem is there's a group of people that say, oh, yes, we want to remember then, but yet we forget the now. Let me help you with that. 
I've already said this. Millions of people are dressed up in their Sunday best coming to church, and they're celebrating Jesus raised from the dead. They, the passages that I've just read, they come to church. It, it's the biggest attended Sunday by far. We joke it's kind of the Super Bowl of church. You know, We add services. We add more chairs. We have more times. We do a sunrise service. We get people to come, and, and everybody sits down, and, and they remember that Jesus comes. They go to Grandma's house. They, they eat a brunch. They, they have nostalgia. But do you know the worst day of the year for me? The next day. Because Monday morning, life just goes back to normal, doesn't it? You know how I know that? Because next week, church attendance is going to have the sharpest drop in attendance of any Sunday of the year. Is the Sunday after Easter. You know why? Because we remember the then, but we forget the now. Church, can I just help you with something? If Jesus of Nazareth actually lived, if what was written was actually recorded, actually happened, if he went to the cross willingly, died undeservedly, rose from the dead, conquered death forever, should I be more concerned about another person's sin or be broken over my own? Which one? Should I care what program the church offered? Or should when I show up to church on Sunday, should I serve and give whatever way I can give to help reach more people? Should it really bother me what other people say about me behind my back or at work or in my family? Or should I really only focus on what God says about me? Should I stress out about what party controls the White House? Or should I be more concerned with what God's been doing in my house? Because that's where real change can happen. Should I worry about the economy or gas prices or inflation? Or should I know that my God should supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus? Should I think Sunday morning is optional if I don't have anything else better going on? Or if I'm a little tired? I, or, or, or should I just come and worship in God's presence every week and bask in that glory? Should I focus on acquiring earthly treasures where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal and then I'm going to die and it's all going to be gone anyway? Or should I rather build for myself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal? Should I fear death or persecution or, or being made fun of? Or should I understand that this world is not my home? I am built and designed for a heavenly kingdom that's far greater than anything on planet Earth. And here's the thing, church, and this might hurt, and I love you. But if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're watching or you're listening right now, you've probably seen more of the former than the latter. You've probably heard people claim the name of Jesus and go to church on Sunday, but when you look at their lives, there seems to be a gap in there somewhere. The problem with that is because I think we remember the then, but then we forget the now. How are we living right now? What has God called me to live right now? And church, it should change everything. If we say this is true, it should. And that's what I would say the key to faith is. Faith is trusting the now, what he has done, and what he will do. That's the problem. We remember the then, but we forget the now. Here's the third one that I want you to think about. So we talked about that was then, this is now. Then we talked about remembering the then and then forgetting the now. But here's the other one that I think we should fall into. We focus on then, but we neglect now. Let me help you with what I'm talking about. I think the problem is we can live our entire life in the then. You remember when you were a little kid and you're looking around, you're like, man, I can't wait to get to high school. Oh, high school is going to be so much fun. I have so much freedom I can do. It's so much more things, right? When you're a kid, you think that way. And then you get to high school. And you think, man, if I could just graduate. As soon as I graduate from high school, then things are going to be awesome. I have my freedom. I can do whatever I want. Man, that's going to be awesome. And then you graduate high school. And then you think, man, if I can get a good job. 
If I can just get a good job, if I can get a good job, then everything is going to be awesome. That'll be great. And then you get a good job. Then you think, oh, if I could just get married. Oh, if I could just find that special someone who would just love me forever. If I could just, if I could, then if I could get married, then everything would be great. And then you get married. And you think, oh, if we could find a house. We could find a place to kind of put down our roots and, and start a family and kind of build this house. And then you buy a house. And then you think, man, if we could just have kids. As soon as we have kids, everything's going to be great. We're going to have our family going. And then you have kids. And you think, oh, it'd be great when they go to school. <laughs> kids are a lot of work, you know, man. They get to school. As soon as they get to be school age, we're going to have more time. It's going to be great. And then you think, man, well, then they go to school. And you think, oh, if they get out of school, well, they get to be an empty nester. Get our kids grown and get out of school. As soon as our kids are grown, as soon as they're out of school, then we're going to go and do that. And then your kids grow up and leave. And you think, oh, man, if I could just get to retirement. Oh, I just got to get to retirement. As soon as I get to retirement, then, man, we're so close. We'll get to retirement. As soon as we retire, then everything will be great. And then you get to retirement. And then you die. And you think, I've lived my entire life in then. And if you're in this room right now and you're under the age of 25, I want you to look around the room at all the nodding heads. Because <laughs> if you've lived life long enough, you realize that you spent a lot of time in your life living in the then and you neglect the now. But here's what I want to tell you, church. It can happen the same thing in the church. I've been in the church my whole life, and I've been so proud of that. I tell you what, I love my upbringing. I love the church that we've been in. But I've seen a lot of Christians who live in the then. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Can I tell you something? It's heaven right now. Why do we have to wait? Why can't today be the day that Jesus made? Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're so busy looking forward to that. How about this one? You know, when I want to start attending church, you know, as soon as I can start attending church, then I can, I can get my schedule, then I can start attending again. No, do it now. What about serving? What about giving? I hear it all the time. If I... Pastor, I'd love, to, I'd love to start tithing. I would. I just, as soon as I get a better job, then I could start doing that. Why wait? How about when we're living? See, our problem is we're too focused on then, and we neglect the now. But here's what I want you to understand, church. So we talked about the three problems of then and now. Thinking there's, that was then, this is now. Remembering then, forgetting now. Focusing on then, but neglecting now. Here's what I want you to write down, church. Don't miss this. Easter is about now not then. Easter is about now, not then. We pray it every week, and I always call it the most dangerous prayer, and I kind of set you up when we pray it every week. It's the Lord's Prayer, right? He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on as it is already. Easter is about now. It's not about then. See, now the tomb is empty. Now he offers forgiveness from all your sins, past, present, and future. Now you can live your life for a greater purpose than just your little kingdom because his kingdom is so much greater. Now you can have the hope of the resurrection from the dead. Did you know that when people die, we can see them again? We can be with them forever. There'll be no more pain, no more suffering. Isn't that awesome? Now we can have that hope. We can believe in the promise of eternal life that my life will go on beyond this point. Now you can begin to see God work in your life regardless of ways you can't imagine. Now we can be free from the opinions of other people and rest in the presence of what God has for us. Now we can be the church that God has called us to be in this community. We don't need to wait until we get a building. 
We don't need to wait until we have more people. We don't need to wait until we get, until we can live it out right now in your world. You can have that peace and you can have that comfort today. See, that is what Easter's all about, church. Easter's about the now, not the then. And like I said, no matter which camp you're in, you might think of, oh, you know, that was then, this is now. I, I don't need that anymore. It's not part of my life anymore. Man, I hope you can understand that it is and how much God loves you for that. And we focus, like I said, we, we come and we celebrate, but we forget the next day. Or, or we, we, we get tied up in the rest of the world and it distracts us from what we're doing. Or we get so focused on what's going to happen then, we forget about the right now. Easter is about now. And that's what it is. You know, in 1991, going back to the beginning of our story, about Roy Riggles, that poor got fellow that ran the wrong way in the Rose Bowl. Um, in 1991, Roy Wrongway Riggles. <laughs> Say that three times fast, right? They, he got a nickname called Roy Wrongway Riggles. He was actually inducted into the Rose Bowl Hall of Fame after 65, oh, nearly 65 years from that famous play. He was honored for that one moment. And I find it very interesting. Because I think out of all his life, what, what, what history tells us is for the rest of his life, that's what he was called. People would remind him of that constantly, his most humiliating, embarrassing moment. But, but here's the part that I think is funny. He's remembered for that, isn't he? Think of all the thousands of kids who have played in the Rose Bowl over the years, and you probably don't know any of them, but yet Roy's in there. And Roy actually made it to the Hall of Fame because of that. But there's two other things that I love about that story that I don't want you to miss. And I think it's so important to what we're talking about right now. If you remember from that story, as he was running the wrong way down the field, one of his teammates saw that. And what did he do? He ran after him. He tried to get his attention. He said, you're going the wrong way. Stop, stop, stop. And he stopped him right at the one-yard line. Church, if you're here today and somebody invited you to come, you know what they're telling you? You're going the wrong way. Come. We need you to stop because you're going life the wrong way, and they're going to stop you. And I pray, if you're here today, they stopped you before it was too late because you still have time, don't you? You still have life. And if you're here today, who is somebody in your life you can run after? Because that's what it means to be God's church. We see people going the wrong way. We don't judge them. We don't condemn them. We run after them. Because that's what my Jesus did for me. He loved me, and we need to run after them. But the second character that I don't want you to forget is that coach. Right? Once they realize that they're going the wrong way, it's really easy to get down on yourself, isn't it? It's really easy to say, oh, man, I'm terrible. Man, I've done all these horrible things. Man, I, I just can't be good for anything. Let's be that coach that puts our arm around him and says, hey, it's only halftime. If you're here today, right now, now is your opportunity. This is your chance in life to say, I've been going the wrong way, and I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to play the second half. Yeah, I made some mistakes. Yeah, I've screwed up. But today is a new day, and I'm going to ready to play the second half of my life. See, church, Easter is not about now. It's about then. And that's what we need to say. We need to say, it's not about then, it's about now. And that's what we need to live in, in that moment. That's what we have today. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ said. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. When you face death someday, and everybody here will face death, all of your loved ones at some point will do as well. You can have the hope and the blessed assurance because of what Jesus did on the cross and the fact that the tomb is empty. 
and your life can go on forever. But church, don't miss the fact that you can start living that right now. You don't need to wait for heaven. You can start living out God's kingdom and being here in this part. So I just want to take a moment. If there's anybody in this room, there's anybody watching online right now who has never done that, I'm going to have you pray with me. And we're just going to say a very simple prayer. God, thank you. God, I recognize that in my life, I've been running the wrong way. And God, I thank you for sending people in my life who have chased me down. And tell me, hey, it's time to turn around. God, I pray that today we can turn around. And we accept willingly what Jesus did on the cross for us. That we believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead. And we're going to confess it with our mouth. And we're going to start living in the now with what you can do. We're going to forget about our past, God. You've forgiven that. We're not going to worry about our future, God. We're going to say, as long as it's today, this is what God's calling me to do, to build his kingdom, not mine. And if there's anybody here today or in, watching online, listening to the sound of my voice, who's made that commitment for the first time, we want to hear about it. We want you to mark on your card and so we can connect with you. But maybe there's some people here today who knows somebody and you have somebody on your heart right now. Maybe you need to get up and maybe you need to start chasing after them and tell them how much their God loves them. Maybe you need to be a coach where you need to put your arm around somebody, encourage somebody who's struggling in their faith right now and saying, it's okay. There's still a lot of game left to be played. God, I thank you for that privilege that we can come in your presence with no shame, no guilt, no remorse. And God, we thank you that when people die, they don't stay dead. <laughs> they get to go home and be with you. And one day you're going to return. And you're going to set everything right in all creation. But until that time, God, there's work to be done. So help us continue to love one another and to love you. And remember that Easter is about now. It's not about then. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 310 Walnut Street. You can also check out more content on our website, yankton.church, or our YouTube channel, at Celebrate Yankton. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to it and share with others. God bless.